0: listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnadeau Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. If you uh, weren't here last week, we started on a new series. Uh, In this series, we're talking about burnout. And it's uh, one of the things that is going on culturally is that people are just burning out on work, burning out on life, and we don't know what to do. So we're looking at at scriptures and how they teach us about burnout and how God is a part of our lives, even when we're burning out. I am a... uh, I'm a Law & Order guy. I like to watch the TV show, Law & Order. Uh, I don't know if you've ever just spent a Sunday afternoon watching reruns of Law & Order, uh, but I like it. And, and I like the original recipe, Law & Order. You can miss me with all those SVUs and CBSs or whatever else they have, criminal intents. Uh, you can miss me with those. I, I don't care much about them. I want original recipe, 11 herbs and spices, Law & Order. Um, but one of the things I like about Law and Order is that they don't always end happy. Every once in a while, a few times per season, you'll get one of those episodes where the bad guy gets away with murder. And, and sometimes it's a situation where like, everybody knows this guy's guilty. The DA knows it. The police know it. The judge even knows it. They know that this guy's guilty of murder, but for whatever legal reason, his lawyer found some kind of a loophole or some kind of a technicality, and the bad guy gets off, and, you know, the bad guy always has this smug look of, like, you he always looks at the lawyer like, yeah, you know I did it. And, and the lawyer just shakes his head. And then, and then at the end of the episode, you find Jack McCoy uh, at some seedy bar somewhere just drowning his sorrows and preparing for the next day as he nurses a drink. And the reason why I bring up uh, this law and order is because if you show too many of those episodes in a season, people would burn out on it, right? You don't watch a show called Law and Order to see a whole bunch of instances of the justice system not working. You watch Law and Order because you want to see the way the justice system works. And we like to think that the process of finding justice and just outcomes are generally in alignment, and there can be exceptions, and those exceptions are interesting, but you don't want to have so many exceptions that you find the rule to be untrue. So we're going to talk about Jonah this morning. Y'all remember the story of Jonah, right? Famously got swallowed by a whale or a big fish, you know, whatever. God called Jonah to preach repentance to these people called the Ninevites. And he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it so bad that he got on a boat and fled in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And, of course, God said, no, I'm not going to give you that option right now. So God sent a storm. Jonah got himself thrown overboard and got swallowed by the big fish or the whale. The whale swam him to the shore closest to Nineveh, spit him back out. And God said, okay, Jonah, try again. So Jonah went and he preached repentance to the Ninevites. And lo and behold, the Ninevites listened, and they actually repented. And God did not destroy the city like he threatened to do. But from Jonah's point of view, the bad guys got away with it. He did not want the Ninevites to repent. He wanted them to burn. And so like Jack McCoy, at the end of the episode, in the bar, at the end of the rough law and order, Jonah goes and he sulks under a tree because he's sad that, in his opinion, the bad guys got away with murder. And then even the tree dries up. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, is when Jonah burnt out after he did his work in Nineveh. We're in Jonah chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's not that long. This is right after the, the Ninevites repented. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city, and sat down east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord appointed a bush. And made it come up over Jonah to give him shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What an abrupt ending. Jonah just sulks and we don't know how it got resolved really. You see, Jonah perceived his identity as a prophet in one way and God perceived it in another way. The Israelites hated the Assyrians. Those were the people that that populated Nineveh And, and they hated them for a good reason The people of Nineveh were violent, cruel conquerors who had assaulted the people of God numerous times in the past. And there was this cultural script that I think Jonah was following when it came to how he thought about what God's prophets ought to do in regards to the Ninevites. Jonah's perception of what a good prophet was, his identity as a prophet, was that he would go to the Ninevites and preach hellfire and brimstone, and he would be the the predecessor to the destruction of Nineveh. He thought that his job as a prophet was to show up, tell them that they're all going to burn, and then go and sit outside the city and watch the pillar of fire descend. That was his perceived identity of what God's prophet to the Ninevites should be. He figured maybe he could just bring some marshmallows to toast while he was at it while the city burned. But that's not what happened. There was a fundamental misalignment of how Jonah perceived his identity as a prophet and how God perceived Jonah's identity as a prophet. And you can see it in the text in chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. He says, "Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled Tarshish to begin with. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. Jonah knew about the misalignment between the heart of God and his vision of prophecy from the beginning. It's why he ran in the first place. He didn't want to be the one who gave his hated enemies a second chance to experience the mercy and love of God. He wanted to be the one to send them all to hell. But God wanted Jonah to receive a different kind of identity as a prophet. He wanted Jonah to be a prophet that brought about mercy, to bring about second chances. Jonah just couldn't get on board with God's vision for what his prophetic career should be. And this misalignment caused him to actually burn out on his job of prophet twice. The first time he burned out by running, right? He ran from God. He ran to a city called Tarshish, and he just couldn't escape his calling no matter how hard he tried to run. And the storm came, and he, he realized that he was, he was burning out from this desire to run. And the second thing, the second way he burned out was that he burned out because he was spinning his wheels. That's what I call it. Have you ever been in a situation where you have done everything that you can? You have put your whole work in, into it, your life into it. You have followed what you knew you were supposed to do, and then it just didn't matter? That's a bad feeling to, to put a lot of effort into something that didn't end up mattering in the, in the first place. And that's what I think he had this spinning wheels feeling. He was like, okay, God, I did what you said. I went up and I preached to the, I preached to the Ninevites, but I, didn't, I still didn't get what I wanted. I thought they were going to not repent and they did repent and now I have done it but I've spun my wheels and I didn't I wasn't aligned with what I thought I was going to do. And he just he wanted to die. This misalignment was so bad. This his perceived waste of time that he had gone through was so bad. Because the cultural script that he was following for the role of a prophet did not align with God's calling for what he should do as a prophet. So what happens when our cultural scripts for our identities misalign with God's identity for us? What happens is that we either run away or we spin our wheels and those things both lead to burnout. Here's what I'm talking about. We have all kinds of identities that we perceive for ourselves. Some of them good, some of them not so good. But those identities are often out of line with what God has called us to do. I'll tell you one of the things that, one of the cultural scripts for my identity has been what is a good parent. There are certain things that that happen when, that make you feel like an awful parent for our culture. One of those things is Valentine's Day. I'll tell you what, every time Valentine's Day rolls around, I feel like a terrible parent because what I do is what I did when I was in school. We go to the grocery store and we buy them a pack of these little cheap valentines that have whatever, Paw Patrol or Ninja Turtles on them or whatever, and they write each kid's name on them. And then each one of those kids gets one of those little valentines. And then my kid comes home from school with these bespoke, personalized, handcrafted valentines, each of them attached with a different kind of candy. And it's like... That kid didn't go through all that trouble. That kid's parents went through all that trouble. Because evidently, that's what good parents do now. They go all kinds of crazy on Valentine's Day. And the bad parents, like me, send a store-bought Ninja Turtle Valentine. (laughs) Right? But it's these, these cultural these cultural expectations for parenthood that our kids' schedules have to be chock-a-block with activities. They have to have every kind of fulfillment and enrichment they can. They've got to go to every practice that they can go to so they can get that scholarship. And if we have time to squeeze in a church service now and then, then so be it. Those are the cultural expectations of parenthood. But what if God calls us to be different kinds of parents? What if my called identity from God as a parent doesn't line up with the cultural expectations? What am I supposed to do? I can either run from God and say, no, forget it, God. I'm just going to do whatever the other parents are doing. I'm going to make sure that my kids are scheduled half to death and, uh, and we never get in a Sabbath day and we never get in any kind of stuff. Or I can unfaithfully grumble about it. Well, I guess I have to take my kids to church. Ugh. And then when I take my kids to church, and then the other kid gets the scholarship at the end of the day, well, I took my kids to church, and the other kid got the scholarship. <laughs> and I can grumble. That's the spinning our wheels. Those are the ways that we see, we can burn out on these identities. We talked about this a little bit last week. We we can burn out on the identity of a good employee. Like there's this cultural script that a good employee is constantly available to their bosses. Their boss can send you an email at 3 o'clock a.m., and if you don't have it answered by 5 o'clock a.m., then you're not doing good, right? Or your phone could ring at any time of the day, no matter what's going on, and if you don't pick it up, then so-and-so is going to get, the other person's going to get the promotion, right? There's this cultural script of a good employee, but what if God's call for your life doesn't line up with that cultural script? There's the good man or woman, right? And of course, these, <laughs> the cultural script of what a good man or woman does is nuts right now. It's so crazy, and it's changing all the time. But just because we don't like the new cultural scripts doesn't mean we necessarily have to baptize the old ones, right? We, what a good man or woman looks like needs to be received from God, not from what our culture is, right? So if you don't look like a stereotypical good woman or you don't look like a stereotypical good man, that doesn't mean that you're not one. It just means that your identity is received from Christ, not necessarily from other people. I had this, man, I had this thing uh, in a a past church a few churches ago where, you know, it was a good, like, blue-collar church, and, uh, man, all these guys were into hunting and fishing and all this kind of stuff, and that's just, it's just not me. I like sci-fi and reading. And so I tried so hard to conform, and I kind of burned out. I was like, what do I need to talk to these guys about? So I'm sitting here pretending like I know what the heck a gun is. or You know, like, <laughs> I'm sitting here pretending like I know, um, like I have watched the... the NFL draft like I like football but I do not keep up with drafts or any of that stuff and I'm sitting here trying to fake it with these folks and I'm burning out on it and then I remember one day I preached a sermon there where I referred to myself as an avid endorsement I came out I said I'm I'm just an I'm an avid endorsement. And these people latched on to that. And then they we understood each other. And I stopped kind of faking this idea of what a, a man ought to be, and I was just the man that I am. And it got we we clicked and connected so much better after I stopped faking that. It's it's we don't have to conform to some kind of cultural script. We receive who we are from God. And it's better when we are. We and Then it goes down the line. We can talk about what the cultural rescript of a good Republican or Democrat looks like, someone who hates someone on the other team, telling us who to trust or distrust, who to accept and reject. you got to pass that ideological litmus test or else you're not a good enough person. You can't be in our group. But what kind of person, what kind of civic identity does God want you to have? That's the question. So there's all these perceived identities out there, all these cultural scripts for how we ought to be. And when those are misaligned with what God calls us to be, it can lead to some serious burnout. We either try so hard to run from who God wants us to be and conform to the culture, or we feel like we're missing out because we're trying to conform to God and we complain and grumble about it. So what is our received identity from God? Who does God call us to be in all these different areas of our lives? How can we be different from Jonah? Well, first of all, I think it's clear in this passage. God has called us to be people of mercy. People of mercy who offer grace and love to other folks. People who obey God rather than the cultural scripts. Have mercy on other people. Extend mercy to yourself too. God has called us not to be busy parents. God's called us to be godly parents. We don't have to sacrifice our whole family to cultural expectations. We don't have to sacrifice our church life to cultural expectations. We get to have mercy on ourselves we don't have to compete to who can be the most Instagram perfect Pinterest parents. We can just love our kids and teach them the ways of Jesus, the way God called us to, and that's enough. We can be a godly employee, people who do our best unto the Lord, who who give all everything we can while we're on the clock, but who get to be off the clock, too. God's called us to be a godly man or a godly woman, someone who models the way of Christ in mutual submission and servanthood, someone who who has mercy on others who are different from us. God's called us to be merciful and godly in our civic lives, to be people of mercy for those who disagree, to, to stick to our convictions, but then have enough convictions to stick up to our own party when they start to contradict Jesus as well. God's called us to a, a, a loyalty to the kingdom in our civic lives more than a loyalty to a party. So this misalignment, when we're misaligned with our perceived identity and our re- received identity from Christ, when we, those things are misaligned, it is fundamentally unsustainable. We will burn out when our identity in Christ misaligns with our identity that we think we have. We can run like Jonah, but that leads to burnout. We waste this mental energy doing everything but what we're supposed to be doing. Doing everything but what we know God has called us to. And it wastes so much energy thinking at that and, and trying that and trying not to, not to think about that. We waste so much energy that way and we burn out on that or we spin our wheels we waste mental energy doing things that we don't actually believe in if we're doing what we think God has called us to do but we don't actually believe in what God has called us to do then we just we burn out so hard on that begrudgingly taking your kids to church and then and then complaining when the other kid gets the scholarship, that's the kind of spinning wheels that I'm talking about. We'll spin our wheels and burn out if we align our actions with God, but our desires and our expectations aren't aligned with God as well. So how do we do it? How do we achieve this alignment? How do we get our identities in with how God has called us to be? the first thing that we could do is have knowledge of what your identity in Christ is and confidence in what it is. And maybe this takes some soul searching. Maybe you have to look down in your heart and say, what kind of man does God want me to be? What kind of woman does God want me to be? What kind of parent does God want me to be? Maybe it doesn't look like the person down the street from you. Maybe it doesn't look like the person down the pew from you. But God has a calling and he has an identity for you. And that is a matter of discernment. But once we discover it, standing firm and confident in that identity that God has given us is something that that can align our lives. The second thing we need to do is understand and resist the pull of the cultural scripts right? The world is going to try to tell you how to be. They just, they just are. Because they're trying to sell you something, generally. <laughs> generally, they're trying to say, a manly man does this so that you can buy your, this fishing gear, or whatever it is. You know, whatever they're trying to sell you, they're trying to sell you also on a vision of your identity that may or may not align with God. So resist the pull of those cultural scripts. Resist that and say, I am who God made me to be. I am who God put inside of me. And and if you're calling me to be something else than that, then I'm sorry, that might be good for you, but it's not who I am. The third thing I think we can do, uh, it comes from our communion liturgy, actually. When we we take communion and we say our confession at the beginning of communion, what we always say is free us for joyful obedience. I love that phrase, joyful obedience. Because obedience in action without being obedient in in our hearts, in our desires, will burn us out. But when we are joyfully obedient to Christ, well, then we're, our desires and our actions are in alignment. And, and there is so much, so much good that happens that way. I mean, it's like when your desires are for what God has called you to, and you know your identity in God, it's like everybody's rowing in the same direction at the same pace. But when you're misaligned, it's like one person's rowing in one direction and the other person's rowing in the other direction, in the boat of your life, and you just spin. You get tired of spinning, and you burn out. But being joyfully obedient involves developing a trust in God, a trust that when he gives you an identity, it is better than what the cultural script for you is. It is better than what the world tells you to be is. And you have to trust that in order to be joyfully obedient. So what do we do today? How do we align ourselves? I don't know where you stand in the midst of all of this. Maybe you know who you are in Christ, and maybe you're confident in that, and maybe all the oars are rowing in the same direction, and everything's gravy, and you're going for God. And and to you, I say, keep it up. That's that's excellent. But maybe you've got a struggle. Maybe who you feel like you should be doesn't align with who you actually are. Maybe who you think God's called you to be doesn't align with what the world tells you you should be. Maybe you know that God is a God of mercy, but you just want him to strike down your enemies so bad. And that pull and that tug is there. Jonah Never did, as far as we know in scripture, align his perceived identity as a prophet with his received identity as a man of mercy. And it ended with him wanting to die in the desert, even though he accomplished the work that God called him to do. That's a cautionary tale for us. We need to align our perceived identity of who we are with our received identity. Of who God calls us to be. So that we can be joyfully obedient in everything he calls us to do. And God has given us this opportunity today. Let's pray. Oh Father, so many of us burn out because we're just spinning our wheels. We feel like nothing we do matters. Because we've got this internal conflict of who we are. Know you called us to to be and who we actually are. God, align us today. Align our identities with you. Give us confidence in who you've called us to be. And show us how we can live that out in the world for your glory. Give us grace and give us peace today, Father. In your name I pray, amen.